Hey, Julie. Hey, Mike. Welcome to uh, another, maybe the first, maybe the last episode of um, That's Probably How It Happened. Is that what that's, it's called? That's probably how it happened. Yes. It's that's exactly called, what it's that's called. Probably how it happened. How many times have we done this now? Um, you know, I imagine that when we become famous, we'll have archives of the the unpublished episodes and all five previous episodes that we've already recorded will be in the archives and listeners for an extra fee can go and download them completely unedited and they will love them because we are that famous. It will be like looking at the DVD extras. Oh, these are the deep cuts of that's probably how it happened. Yeah. Awesome. Do we have a, um, a guest today? I mean, you can see him. <laughs> right. I know we have a guest today. Um, would you like to introduce our guest, Julie? Yes, I better introduce this young man because he is my pick for the podcast. Um, he is a quirky storyteller who I discovered, I think somebody may have given me his name and I went and saw a YouTube video of a story that he won the moth with that I think he's going to tell today, which was super funny and adorable. And so I said, you must come on my show. And this is back in the before times when we could actually gather as human beings in social clumps and not die. And his name is Charles Scheinbloom. Charles. That is impressive how you made that all about you. Hey, Charles, welcome aboard. It's impressive that she got my last name right. I don't think that story is true at all, but. <laughs> how did we meet then, Charles? Apparently she discovered you. Yeah, right? Oh. <laughs> uh, well, okay, I didn't know I need discovering or had I been discovered, but okay, I will. Uh, <laughs> that's a true story then. I think the person that sent you that video was me to get onto your show. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> when, you, when you said somebody sent you a video of me, I think that person was me. <laughs> Self-promoting. But then then how did you find me? Maybe you discovered me. I came to Oakland Story Slam. Story Slam Oakland, you mean? Uh, no, I do not. <laughs> that other one sucks, but Story Slam Oakland's amazing. Story Slam Oakland is really quite cool, and it's the longest-running true storytelling show in Oakland. Hmm. Now online, at stories online. Yeah, successful online too. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I think that this is a different format. We're, we don't have an audience. We're just trying to amuse each other, and in so doing, we will amuse the people in the future who will be listening to us talking. Do we have a theme? Breakups, relationships. Love, sex, heartbreak, something like that. Um, um, I got one of those. Right, trying new things, trying new things. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds amazing. <laughs> I think that's- For those at home, she's looking into the camera until I made a face like, oh yeah, I've got one for that. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out we are, we are lightly themed, so. Like lightly salted. We're like lightly salted. Lightly salted potato chips that aren't as tasty as Lay's classic, but you'll eat them anyway when there's yeah. nothing in the house. <laughs> lightly salted isn't as good as fully salted, but lightly themed might be the best of all possible theming. 
because themes kind of are limiting, I think. But but there you have it. <laughs> all right, all right. So so we're going to be talking about relationships and trying new things, which often go together. Would you like to uh, kick things off? Like butt sex. I mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> yes, like butt sex. Is that what you said? No, I didn't say that. All right. That's from the Blu-ray. That's not making it to air, isn't it? <laughs> it it might. It depends how much other quality banter we have to add as filler. So mm. I will take my editorial discretion. All Should right. we Rochambeau to see who goes first? Yes. All right, three-way Rochambeau. You ready, Charles? Yeah. What are the rules of the game? Hold up by your ears so I can. Rock, scissors, paper. Do I do I have to define that for you? Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know how we play three-way rock, scissors, paper. Let's One. do it. It's really easy. One, two, three. One, One two, two, three. three. Oh, wait. I thought we do three and then we show. No, it doesn't matter. It's, okay. it's irrelevant. You you won, so yep. go ahead. Oh, that means I won? Okay. Yeah. All right. First, let me get this idea out of the way that at the time I was really obsessed with healthy eating because like the idea of pureeing green vegetables into baby food like consistency in my Cuisinart was my idea of easy gourmet. And I froze that shit to have it at a later date. But I lacked two things, a glamorous Vitamix blender to make green smoothies. Now, I always thought they were too expensive to justify buying. $200 for a blender? But the point is I was really into eating healthy and living a healthy lifestyle. And I, I really wanted to find someone else like that. And that is the other thing that I lacked in 2008, a boyfriend and my biological clock was ticking. And so it was time to settle down. And I wanted a man to have children with who was sexy and smart and also into healthy eating. Also keep in mind that 10 years ago, you could find a date online. And I don't mean Tinder. This was before Tinder on Craigslist. Let that sink in, Craigslist. But I wrote an essay about myself and people would read it and write me back. And the ones who didn't read personal essays written by grad students, I didn't need to meet them. So it was like better than any algorithm. No swiping, no scrolling. They just emailed you back if they liked you and they liked me. I uh, That's how I met. Pedro. I've changed his name to Pedro. And our first date was at an Obama for president rally. So you get the idea. Pedro was clean cut. He had a sexy goatee though. So he had clean shaven cheeks and a sexy goatee that was soft. It wasn't horribly prickly like these giant forest beards that men like to wear now. It was like nice. And he was kind of small and muscular. He had his Peruvian father's good looks and his Midwestern mother's practicality. And he was a good listener. And I assumed that he was a good counselor because that's what he did. He was a drug and alcohol rehab counselor. And he'd ask his patients how they were doing on a scale of one to 10. So he'd, he'd listen to them. And he was also into meditation like I was. So when we sat together in silence, I could feel the hot energy coming from his skin. And we were quiet and not even talking or looking at each other. But I was like bathing, just like bathing in his presence, just being next to him. And maybe that's what having someone's pheromones act on you. Maybe that's what that is. But he and I definitely had it. And unlike other guys I've dated, 
who were really just three toddlers balanced under a trench coat pretending to be an adult human male, Pedro seemed to have his shit together. He worked at Passages, a rehab center for celebrities in Malibu. And he was a drug and alcohol rehab counselor. And he was a former addict himself, but now he was 10 years clean. But he was also very troubled. And being an addict for most of his younger life had left him with difficulties and money was one of them. He always seemed to be stressed about money. I, on the other hand, had recently inherited half a house, which I'd sold and was going to grad school on this big pile of money. So one day we're driving to the rehab center to pick up his check and he's stressed out about it. He's like, they better have my check. Otherwise I'm going to be overdrawn on my bank account. And I'm a practical Jew. I don't like to pay fines for anything. I don't like to even pay, you know, credit card debt, much less overdraft fees. So I say to him, don't worry about it. If they don't have it, I'll cover your, you know, I'll cover it for you. So you're not overdrawn on your bank account and I'll pay you the $200 or whatever it is that will keep enough money in your bank account to cover whatever you, you know, have bought. And they didn't have his check. So, we go back to Venice Beach where he lives and go to the bank and I withdraw $200 and give it to him. Okay, I know what you guys might be thinking. Never give money to an addict. But he was a former addict. He was a former addict. And I didn't know any addicts and I didn't know anything about it. So I just gave it to him. And... It was something I did also because I was trying to be the perfect girlfriend because my eggs were drying up inside my body every day. And if I didn't settle down and get married that year, or at least in was on the running to do that, it would never happen. So um, uh, to this end, I bought a solid collection of dating books. Whenever Pedro didn't do what I wanted, I searched for the answer in men are from Mars, women are from Venus. That book told me that when Pedro didn't call or text me for a couple of days, he was just retreating into his cave and I should not freak out. And I also read, don't sweat the small stuff in love, which counseled me to be a low maintenance partner. And so, it, so what if he didn't have the money to take me to a fancy restaurant? I would go to Whole Foods and get all the ingredients to make lobster from scratch and I'd cook it for him. I was always cooking for him. And when he had the money to take me out, we'd walk down the boardwalk at Venice Beach and go to the juice hut and he'd buy me a coconut juice from a real coconut. <laughs> and I also became an expert at something Pedro really liked, blowjobs. <laughs> okay he was sexy as hell he would grab me by the back of the neck and whisper you're a sexy little bitch and sexy little bitches need discipline and punishment and that's what's gonna happen but he also had this hot and cold attitude towards me which is like the most powerful motivator on the planet in psychology it's called intermittent reinforcement so sometimes i get what i wanted and most of the time I wouldn't, but it just made the times that I could get what I wanted even more like amazing and juicy, you know, and we'd talk to each other in the language of addiction. He would, he would text me, I'm fiending. I need a re-up. 
meaning let's have sex. And I would, you know, text him the same thing when it was my turn to fiend, but it would be days before I would get my re-up. And during these times that Pedro was in his cave, I would get extremely anxious and go to my dating books for advice. And I read this book called If the Buddha Dated, which said, what if you didn't require your partner to be loving in order for you to remain loving? And so I told him that I loved him. And he said, what if I'm not there yet? Right? Yet. That was the key word. Yet. I did his laundry a bunch of times. He did my laundry zero times. I went down on him all the time. He went down on me one time. He finished his degree. I went to his graduation. I met his parents. They were all very portly <laughs> from the Midwest. I showed my films at UCLA and he never came to see any of them. And he met none of my friends. But mostly I was just waiting for my re-up, you guys. I was just waiting for the re-up. And I'd wait for him to text me and I made a ringtone. That was just for him back in the days when it was easy to do that. They try to make me go to rehab and I said, no, no, no. I really became Pavlov's dog. Whenever I heard that ringtone, it meant the end of my anxiety and the beginning of a wonderful evening of sex and cooking and one glass of wine for me and none for him. But we began to argue over how we communicated because I started to ask for things that I genuinely thought I could have. Like, how about you call me or text me once a day? You know, check in. And then to that, he would say, I feel like I have to take care of you emotionally. And I would say, well, what's the line between taking care of another person's feelings and just being a good relationship partner? And since I was a documentary student, I set up my camera on my tripod and videotaped myself on the phone with him to see if I was being unreasonable. But after a while, these self-help books were not helping. I was miserable. So I thought, I know, I'll see a hypnotherapist. Please hypnotize me into caring less about whether or not my boyfriend calls or texts me back. And the hypnotherapist, after taking my money, said, girl, you don't need to do any of that. You need to find a new boyfriend. But in a forest of red flags, I kept my eyes focused on the ones that were pinkish. I would go on long ass bike rides to try and keep my mind from thinking about Pedro, but I'd always take my Nokia flip phone with me. And one day I just returned from an exhausting all day bike ride and the phone in my bike bag rang. They tried to make me go to rehab and I said, no, no, no. And instead of feeling relief, I burst into tears. I realized that I'm just being tortured by this guy and I can't do it anymore. But later I did call him back and I said, we need to talk. And when I got there, I said, on a scale of one to 10, how much do you want this making gestures with my fingers to indicate this thing between us, this relationship? I had been with him for about nine months at that point. And I thought to myself, okay, I could probably I'm hoping for an eight or a nine, 
but I could probably work with a seven. And he said, five. And I was just, okay, that's it. Finally, finally, I get this out of him. Finally, I understand. And he burst into tears. He spent the next hour crying in my arms. And I was like trying to console him. I knew it was the right thing to do. I never wanted to see him again. But could I please have that $200 back that I let you? And he, um, he said he didn't have it. And he could he give it to me later? And so for the next three months or four months, I nursed my broken heart, did a lot of crying. But the, at the end of four months, you guys, this weird feeling came over me that I could not shake. This feeling that this motherfucker still owed me $200. And so I did a crazy ass thing. I went to a novelty store and I bought a package of novelty tissues that were printed to look like $200, like $100 bills. You know, the fake $100 bill tissues. Yeah. And I, I put them in a letter to him where I said, you know, I'm giving you this $200 for real, free and clear because I want to be totally done with these thoughts. And I said how horrible our relationship had been for me and I was glad to be rid of it. And the email that I got back after I dropped off that letter was so surprising. This guy wanted to have coffee with me. Coffee. After so much that I had suffered and he didn't mention anything about the $200 in the email. And so I typed him back. I typed him back. Um, I have to, I have to just reference this. I gave you those $200 in good faith. It was a loan, not a gift. And you know that. And how can you call yourself a psychologist when you have so little integrity of, it, of your own? And then he sent me an email full of swear words. And I'm like, finally, good. I'm glad you're mad at me. It was the first time that I allowed myself to actually be okay with his anger at me. And then I get a letter. And I'm so freaked out about this letter. I know it's from him because of the handwriting that I ride my bike all the way to like 40 miles away to the ocean. And I finally tear open the letter and inside is nothing but two real hundred dollar bills. And I buy a Vitamix. <laughs> well done. That's way fun. to wrap it up. Nicely done. <laughs> Thank you. So do you ever speak? When is the last time you spoke to or communicated with Pedro? He, he tried to text me when I went back east to visit my uncle. And when the text came, I had a panic attack and made my uncle delete it off my phone. Would you react the same way now, do you think? No, now I'm like, it's 10 years, it's more than 10 years later. Now I would, I wouldn't be friendly to him because 
in the four months that I was nursing my broken heart, he actually dated someone else and broke up with her. So I think he's just a person who used people. And I don't want anything to do with that guy. You know, I'm Googling him right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing you don't have his real name. <laughs> Damn it. Pedro, <laughs> comma, Julie. <laughs> comma, Venice Beach, comma, rehab. Comma, pseudonym. Comma, no, no, no. Comma, 2007, comma, Vitamix. <laughs> you, still, you still have it? I still have my Vitamix. Are they really as good as they're supposed to be? Oh, my God. The Vitamix is, is one of my best kitchen appliances. It sounds like you've got a, a decade on it. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's still working great. I make green smoothies on occasion. But have you looked for him on social media? Like, could you no, find him? No, not at all. Not you haven't at looked? All. No, I don't want anything to do with that guy. He tortured me. Why would I care about what he's doing now? It was a rough time in his life. He's come out of rehab. There was a spark person. there. No, he does he sound like a terrible boyfriend. He wasn't coming out of rehab. He had been out of rehab for 10 years. Did I not mention that in the story? Yeah, yeah you did. I, it sounded like he was a terrible, terrible boyfriend. And I was, I was such a fool. I was such a fool. I don't know if I make enough fun of myself in that story to really... Whatever. It was a good story. I was such a fool, though. I like a happy ending, but I guess the happy ending is the blender. The <laughs> blender is a very happy ending, especially <laughs> since it's still very reliable to this day, unlike Pedro. Unlike Pedro. Pedro. Yeah. <laughs> what did you learn? Treat yourself. <laughs> right. Sorry, I'm eating. That's icky. It's okay, Mike yeah, that's and I good. both. What do, you, what do you have in that glass? Speaking of addiction. Oh, he has some brown liquid. I do. Um, I have a, a scotch that I hate, um, oh. Laphroaig, um, which uh, will ensure that I don't drink it quickly. Mm. Wait, why do you hate it? Oh, it's way too peaty. Like it, it, it just tastes like rubbing alcohol to me. Ugh! Why would you even drink that shit? Well, it's it's better than rubbing alcohol, which you know, obviously, I down by the gallon. Um, but I, it's just something to have and sip on, which is nice. But it can't be delicious. Like I can't sit here, sit here and sip a Manhattan. I'll be, you know, drunk by the end of the podcast. But <laughs> that could be fun. It could be. We'll we'll call that next time. What are you sipping on there, Charles? Johnny Walker Blue. Which what? if anybody's judging me for being bougie, I you had uh, it was a gift. I thought you had tea. Well, I poured a drink when you were talking because Mike had one. And you were talking about rehab and it made me thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a story, Charles? Yeah, is it my turn, or do I, do I have to compete with Mike here? We need to do Rochambeau again. Let's do Rochambeau again. So we're shooting We're shooting on three, right? Not three shoots? On three. On three, you show right. what you've got. And whoever wins goes next. All right, Julie, you're the uh, you're the judge here. Okay. It turns out the, the judging's already built into the game. That's the very structure of the game. Okay. On three. One. I'm two, superfluous. Three. Ah, right. it is. It is rock for Mike and paper for Charles, so Charles gets to go. And based on the rules that make no sense in this game, paper beats rock for some reason. Doesn't paper wrap up rock? Yeah, that's but- That's actually correct. That's, that's pretty generous. And I was gonna like to say, if this whole storytelling thing doesn't work out, you may have a career as a sportscaster, Julie. The way you described that finish there was riveting. I really, I felt like I was there. Yeah, well, you are here. Either Either way. All right. So I, I don't have a relationship because all my relationship stories are too too painful. <laughs> I can't bring those up. It's, it's, 
That's insane. But what if at the end of one of those stories we sent you a blender? Would that perhaps? <laughs> Not a blender, a Vitamix. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Is there a difference? difference. Way. Mm. So those of you who know me, I, I got really into running a few years ago and I ran my first marathon a few years ago, which was awesome, but it was, uh, you know, that's just the end. I'm going to rewind because this is not that story, but that's the end. Um, this story begins like 15 or 20 years ago because I'm getting older now. Despite what Julie says at the beginning, I'm not a child. Um, <laughs> said young so, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two decades ago, uh, back in high school, I was, uh, you know, I grew up in this this town in a county that voted for Donald Trump and like, you know, always votes Republican for as long as I can remember. And there's, there's nothing wrong with where I grew up. It was just not a particularly kind place for a razor thin band geek like myself, because you were your standing in sports and nothing would give me a greater sense of anxiety than coming into gym class and finding out we would be playing three on three basketball because, you know, being uncoordinated enough to dribble a basketball, I would be teamed up with two of the best athletes in school. So, you know, be, me being 33% of the team, the other 66 had to be represented by Kevin Daly and Joseph Peniak, uh, two names that were so famous at Delaware Valley Regional High School. I'm assuming you both have heard them. And any, anybody listening to this story, that's that's the level of fame. Um, but of course, you know, and like that 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 feeling was like like my my skin was trying to recede back and recede back into my spine and and take every finger and bone and just sort of like essence of me with it. Uh, and of course, that's not how that works. But that was my relationship with sports for the longest time. But in my early 20s, I packed up my sedan. And I headed westward. And, and not only would I be moving to a new large city, I was going to be moving to California, America's America, a place where uh, people have been reinventing themselves for hundreds of years. And when I got here, I really wanted to assimilate to this new culture. But as an ungifted athlete, I, I didn't know what to do. But there was something plastered everywhere called yoga. And I thought, I'll give that a try. I've never heard of that. And so I, I went on the internet and I found a studio that seemed to fit the bill of a good yoga studio. But I ran into a hurdle immediately in that I don't speak Sanskrit. And there's all these words I didn't know. Vinyasa, Bikram, Hashtanga, Hatha. And so I, I was a, you know, I lived in LA. So obviously I was a waiter. And so I was a waiter and I just chose the first one that worked with my schedule, which was the 1030 prenatal class. So the next day I arrive and I rented my yoga mat. And I rolled it out in front of the class and, you know, I took off my sneakers and socks and I had my board shorts and my like white, just undershirt. And I began my tenure in yoga. And as it turns out, I'm really good at yoga because the instructor would say things like, if it's available to you, touch your toes. And that's actually super easy for me. And it turns out I was, I was awesome at yoga and I was, I was, I was just kicking everybody else's yoga butt. But, but after a while, like that anxiety started to come back and I couldn't figure out why because, and I don't know why, because I was doing fantastic, but I started to wonder like, you know, maybe I was doing such a good job that I was putting everybody else to shame. Maybe, maybe I should have started with prenatal level two. Um, <laughs> and, but how should I know that I just started, I just found this place on the internet. How should I know that I was going to be an expert? And this goes on for a while, but sometime around the third time that we rocked back and forth while saying hello to the little being inside of us, that I, I put a few things together, the most jarring, of course, being that there is no word parental in any language. 
But there is a word prenatal, which I had not heard since when I was in high school and stayed home to watch The Price is Right. And this realization that I was in this pregnancy class, you know, hit me like a freight train. And I, I suddenly could feel all that anxiety and all these icy daggers shooting from all these women, just wondering why I was in this class with them. <laughs> but I was here to have a positive experience. And I decided I was going to finish this class and this was going to be my victory. And with my head between my ankles, I made that decision and I did. I finished the class. I rolled up my yoga mat, I returned it, put my shoes and socks back on, and I left. You know, all this time later, looking back, like, yeah, I probably could have diffused that with a, a joke. It really would have been super easy, but I was a little bit more awkward back then. But, you know, I look back at this and that sent me back a little bit more than high school did. Like it was like, oh, it was a while before I could get back. And I actually like yoga now, but it took a while. It takes a while to see the humor in these stories. Um, and, you know, having like, you know, like the list of like football and soccer and badminton and uh, wrestling and reading comprehension, you know, crossing all those things off the list of things I can do, you know, finding running means a lot to me because I've done three marathons. I was a trainer for dozens of people to do their own marathons. And, you know, being such an unremarkable athlete, it, it makes me happy to find the sport that I can excel at. So anyway, that's, that's my, that's my story for today. Yay! Good story. That is awesome. Yeah, you know, we're talking about uh, how Julie sanitized the name out of her story. So I used two full names in that story. And those were not top athletes. Those are just two really good friends of mine who I got permission to use their story. They're such good friends. I was actually in both of their weddings. But I don't know. I, I guess I'm ruining my story now. They're just placeholders. But, um, you know. Oh, I think it went by really fast. I don't remember their names. What were their yeah, names? They were the athletes in the story. But yeah, like I think that would have been okay to even use the real names of those athletes. Like you weren't denigrating them. Like, That's true. Like Julie was. Like Julie story. was, right, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was talking about that shitty ass boyfriend who's married with children right now, and I'm not. So fuck you, Pedro. That's my favorite life story. But um, that's what got me into all this is I was just like, I went to the moth and I was just like, ah, I'll just tell this thing. And then I won and it changed my life. Like now this is like my hobby. And now I'm on this talking with you guys, but like, you know, I, I just, I, I like that story. It tells itself. And no matter what's frustrating about it is no matter what I write, people are always like, oh, I missed that yoga story. <laughs> oh, no, there's just something so charming about your, your unawareness about it. And it's so funny, but I can't, I have a question. I have a question. Were the ladies in the yoga class really shooting daggers with their eyes at you or were they nice to you? You know, everybody was super nice to me. Um, it, it may have been a lot in my head because when you think about it, like nobody's really paying attention to like when there's like, you know, 12 people in there. I could have just been the support guy. No, but... they were paying attention because that's Los Angeles. <laughs> They're fair. looking around at everybody else. So, so I like how well you you hide the gag in that joke. Like I, you know, I don't speak Sanskrit. And then you list a whole bunch of names, you know, that are yoga names so that the predinal, like I, it, it flows right there. It doesn't sound weird at the time. You're like, oh, that's just one more yoga word. It's very well crafted. Like that joke, you know, doesn't become obvious nearly as soon as it should. Like I, that is, that is a well-crafted piece of comedy. You know why it's so well-crafted is it's just true. <laughs> like, <laughs> like come along on this journey that I took. <laughs>
So you went from where you were living out in the boonies and you went, you drove to LA yep. to be Before a waiter in your sedan, your unnamed sedan. That's right. Yeah. I, uh, the first job out there was uh, waiting tables at a golf course and I got to meet so many famous people. Huh? It was awesome. It was this, this club called uh, Mountain Gate, um, uh, just Mountain Gate, I guess, golf club in uh, Bel Air. And just, oh man, Sylvester Stallone, the creators of South Park, um, Don Cheadle, like, uh, and then some athletes, uh, Jim Brown, like just constant streams, like, oh, wow, I saw you in this. I saw you in football. <laughs> like, <laughs> he was in Mars Attacks, too, I think. Name dropping, name dropping, name dropping. Well, I'm just saying, that was, a, that was a fun job for, like, yeah. Because then, then, I, then I worked in the film industry where I was beaten down severely. But for, yeah. for a moment, I had a fun job in L.A. Isn't storytelling so much nicer than the film industry? Yeah, this is easier. <laughs> <laughs> also, when, you know, when we started at uh, 45 minutes ago, uh, you know, in the film industry, our call time would have been four in the morning. Oh, well, huh. Julie and I have been on since four in the morning prepping and rehearsing. Yeah, so I'm I, sure. Yeah. You just yeah. only got to start a few hours. Second you know that's, um, that, so that story, that's true, and it took place. Uh, there was a studio on Ventura Boulevard, and I actually ended up sending them that story, and they loved it. Oh, <laughs> was like, awesome. hey, I'm sure nobody remembers this because it wasn't. Um, how can I put this? Uh, detrimental to their mental health, like it was mine. But like, uh, you know, like 12 years ago, this happened. Here, enjoy this story. <laughs> Cute, good story. Mike, I think it's your turn. Unless you want to rock, scissor, paper, and maybe. Yeah, I think I'll rock, scissor, paper myself. One, two, three. Oh! Somehow you lost. Wow. Somehow I lost, even without Julie sportscasting it. <laughs> so, Bianca and I lived in. Not her the, real name. Not her real name. Lived in the dorms together in college, and she had one of those big, warm smiles that would just warm up the entire room. And she was way out of my league. We should not have been a couple. But there was one evening we were lying on the couch watching TV and somehow I was running my fingers through her hair. And that was one of her buttons. And we became a thing. Not a good thing. I think if you were to track her down today and ask her to describe our romance, she would laughably describe how physically incompatible we were. Even just sort of like the, the amount of tongue that one would think appropriate during a kiss, we just wildly different. And I won't say who was at which end of that spectrum, but it was incompatible. Um, but still, we were a couple. Um, I had my awkward, goofy charm, and she had that amazing smile, and we were dating. And I made sure to tell her um, about my friend Liz, that we were just friends, and I would hang out with Liz, um, but not to worry, we were just friends. And Liz was my friend. She was my friend with a cool purple flat top haircut and I was a nerdy boy from Walnut Creek. I didn't know why anyone with a cool flat top haircut would be friends with me, but Liz was and we hung out and it was great. We hung out a lot and eventually I began to develop feelings for Liz and we became a couple and I realized, oh crap, I need to go talk to Bianca. That should not be the couple I'm in. The only problem was it was just about to be midterms week. And did I really want to break up with someone right before midterms? Because that would be traumatic for everybody. It seemed unwise. So what if I just sort of let us float on by for just a week? And I deemed that that would be best for all of us. 
because I knew best. And so I let it all float by for a week. And at the end of the week, I pulled Bianca aside and I explained what had happened with Liz. And I said, we need to break up. And she was pissed. Not because necessarily we were breaking up because we were probably never a good couple, but because she was sure I'd been cheating on her all along. And I, I told her I had not been. Like it is just like there was just one week of overlap. I had not been cheating on her. We really were friends for the vast majority of that time. She did not believe me. She is pissed at me, did not want to speak to me again. But we were still living in that dorm together. And it was one of those cooperative dorms where you got cheaper rent by doing some sort of chore. So everybody did five hours of work a week as part of our rent. And one of her chores was that she was a chef in the house. So she would cook dinner for the whole house once a week. So one of those evenings, she was cooking dinner. And I was going to be late for dinner because I had class. I was running late. So I signed up for a late plate where they would make your dinner and they would put it in the fridge for you to eat whatever you wanted. So I got to the dorm late that evening around nine, went to the fridge and there was my plate, nice big heaping plate of spaghetti with my name, Mike labeled right on it, took it out, dug in. The saltiest thing I've ever eaten, like, like comically salty, not like a little extra salt, like someone had taken a salt shaker and had removed the, the cap from it and had just poured the salt in it. And I knew that Bianca had made dinner that evening. I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. This is her way of getting back at me for what she perceived as cheating. And I, I hated the fact that she thought ill of me. Um, that is not something I am comfortable with as a human being. I'm like, okay, but this is her way of getting back to me. And, and things are sort of even now. And okay, good. And I kind of felt good about it. And a few months later, I'm out with Liz. And we're at a bar. And I see Bianca and her friends a couple tables away. And I still feel really bad that we've never really spoken since then. And I point her out to Liz and Liz says, well, now is maybe your chance to make amends. You should go talk to her. And we'd had one or two beers and I thought, yeah, I should go talk to her. So we brainstormed a strategy and I marched over to Bianca's table and I scooped up the salt shaker that was on the table and I poured a bunch of salt in front of her and in my best catchphrase voice, I said, I think you left that in my spaghetti. And she grabbed her beer and she poured it over my head like we were in a crappy movie and she marched out of the bar. And I, I went back to Liz and we realized that maybe this was not the best approach. Maybe that is not the best way to make amends with someone. That was not the right way to handle this. And about a year later, I did speak with Bianca again. And I told her, I'm like, you know, that time I approached you in the bar and I poured the salt out, that was just sort of an homage, you know, to the stunt you'd paid with me to get back at me for, for what you thought was cheating on you. She's like, I, I never poured any salt in your dinner. I have no idea what you're talking about. Why would you think that putting salt in your spaghetti would be equivalent to you cheating on me? Which was a fair point. I guess that's not really one for one. And so it's, it's decades later now. Um, I'm still good friends with Liz. Um, and I still, if, to this day, if I could find Bianca on social media or something, I would still attempt to track her down and explain to her that I am not a bad person. It still eats at me to this day that she has this ill will towards me and I can't quite let it go. And I'm still ready to march over with a salt shaker or something to make amends and to try and convince this one person that I am not the Antichrist. But alas, no. I am. Am I? Am I the Pedro? My <laughs> only issue with that story is when you said uh, it was a bad movie where someone would throw beer on you. I would absolutely watch that movie. 
<laughs> so, but I want to know who oversalted your plate of spaghetti. I, as, as near as I can tell, I think maybe just, I mean, it was a crappy dorm. Like it's entirely possible <laughs> that just some salt fell into it. Like somebody had knocked over the salt and said, oh, well. Gross. Maybe, they, maybe everybody had terrible spaghetti that night. Yeah, so you just insulted her cooking. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't. She in general was not a bad cook. There were bad cooks in that dorm, and she was not one of them. Hmm. It was just, it just happened to be salty. It was not her. Wow. I can't remember her last name, so I can't Google her, but I've tried. I cannot make amends. Yeah. Delaying breaking up with someone till a more convenient time is a shitty thing to do. <laughs> It was just a week. It was midterms week. Oh, it was just a week, not an entire semester. That's good. It was just a week. Midterms. Really? Like I breaking up right before midterms? I didn't even do well on those midterms. Because you were so conflicted about whether or not you should break up with Bianca. Sure. Or I wasn't good at midterms. Yeah, one of those two things. I'm not sure <laughs> I feel bad, you guys. I forgot two funny lines in my story. Well. If I say them, can you edit them in? I was going to say. Probably not. Okay, never mind. I won't say them. What if I say them for her? <laughs> Should I put them in the chat? I'll put them in the chat and Charles can read no, them. The the, I, sure. <laughs> <laughs> this is so stupid. I'll make this very seamless. You're ready for this? Yeah. I got to find the chat window. Okay. If you could do a, a Julie voice, I think that would be best. Yeah, we have exactly the same voice. Everybody can tell us apart. After the breakup. Oh, is this it right here? Right after the breakup. All right, mm -hmm. I'll preface this so that nobody will have any ambiguity about who's speaking. My name is Julie. Driving home, I got so mad at myself. That's how it was punctuated. That's not me. How could I have been so stupid? How could I have missed all those signs that he's just not that into me? I even read that book. No, I even had that book. Oh, I gave you too much credit. <laughs> Just right. like Mike's midterms, having a book doesn't mean you learned anything from it. You have to read it. Okay. I think if that line would be much funnier if I had put it in my story. <laughs> no, it'll be good. I'll insert it seamlessly in there. It'll be perfect. <laughs> I'm not sure where I'll put it. Maybe at the beginning. I don't know. But I, it'll, be, it'll be perfect. Mm -hmm. It, it'll be a, like a little preface. No, don't do that because then you'll give it away. Trash. I guess you just have to trust my editing acumen. Well, did you have fun? Yeah, I did. You want to know what we say at the end of our podcast so you can say it with us? Yeah, totally. That's a wrap. It's over. That's a wrap. It's over. That's a wrap. It's over. Wow. How late did you guys stay up? Come on, get with that. <laughs> Hold on. Let me do another take of that. <laughs> wow, how late did you guys say of coming up with that? <laughs> Pretty late. It was, a, it was a long night, but I think we nailed it. Time okay. well spent. Now uh, we with that said, give it to me again. It's over. We did it. That's a wrap. It's over. That's a wrap. It's over. Okay. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. I'm going to say goodbye. <laughs> I'm, not doing that. I'm not doing that on purpose. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm angling the camera down so that I can see the other screen. It just yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. It's fine. No worries, Julie. All right. you, you do you. All right. All right. Thank you I, all. Thank you. I thought all. we were going to do the catchphrase. That's, we, we did. did you did. You said it. Times.
You want to uh, say it? I thought we were gonna do it all at the same time. All right, let's do it all at the same time. Like right. Roshan Glow. We're all gonna we're all gonna say our catchphrase now on the count of three. One. I'm not gonna say the three. I'm just gonna do one, two, and then on three, we'll say the catchphrase. Okay. Sure. All right. Sure. All right. <laughs> one. Got it already. Two. That's a wrap. We finished. We finished the podcast. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I'll edit that into the shining little turd that it is. Don't worry.